Hey everyone, you've tuned in to A Place at My Table podcast. I'm Valerie and I'm super glad that you're here today. Today we're going to dive into a topic that is most likely pretty difficult for anyone who deals with it and that is the topic of grief and loss and the journey. And so I want to just kind of share my journey with you over the last um, nine, ten months and I believe it'll resonate with many out there. So thanks for joining me today. Well, hello and happy Friday to all of you out there today. Thanks for joining me on my third episode of A Place at My Table. I'm glad you're here today. And today, as I stated, we're going to kind of dive into a topic that is a little bit difficult to talk about, but I think it's necessary to talk about, and that is grief. And if you are hearing this right now, at some point in your life, you have either already experienced a deep grief from a loss of a loved one or a close friend. Um, And if you have not yet, there's a good chance just because it's how life goes You will experience some grief at some point. And what I have found about grief is that it's weird. It really is. I've told so many people in the last year that grief is just a very weird emotion. Um, it's It's an experience, a process. And up until this point in my life, there had only been a few times in my life, really, uh, that I experienced grief. I remember as a child, the death of some very dearly beloved puppies I had. Um, I was 10 years old, and my dad had bought me a puppy named Little Bit. It was a little rat terrier. And we came home from church one Sunday afternoon, and we found Little Bit laying on our front porch fighting for his life because something had brutally attacked him. Um, He had two puncture wounds in his throat, and he was fighting to live. And so my dad went into fix-it mode, and he uh, tried to doctor little bit up as best as he could. And we prayed all night long. I cried and prayed, and we took care of him. Uh, But unfortunately, he didn't make it. And so a few months later, we got another little bit. And... Unfortunately, the same thing happened to that one, and it happened again. So three times I experienced the death of the these puppies in my life that I loved so much. And it was quite a mystery to us for quite a while on what was going on with the puppies um, until a while after the last one. Uh, My brothers were riding a four-wheeler, and all the dogs of the neighborhood decided to chase the four-wheeler. And we had another dog. It was a German Shepherd named Sassy, the most amazing dog, so gentle and protective and just um, an incredible dog. Never showed any kind of uh, violence or aggression. And so the dogs of the neighborhood were chasing the four-wheeler, and... Uh, It included a little chihuahua that belonged to a neighbor. And all of a sudden, Sassy turned around and chomped on the chihuahua with the same MO that we saw with 
the uh, little bits in our life. And we realized to our horror that Sassy was a serial killer and we had not known it all that time. But I remember the, the overall feeling of grief and loss over those puppies because I loved animals, still do. And then at 12 years old, I remember sitting at the funeral of my grandfather, uh, trying not to let out, you know, those deep sobs that kind of rise up in your chest and you try to suppress them. And I I remember sitting there trying to swallow those, that, uh, just that deep grief that I was feeling and trying to process all of it. I was watching my mother mourn for her father and I was watching my dad mourn a man that he admired so much his father-in-law and so that was uh that was one of my first experiences with a deep grief uh, to that extent but the grief that I experienced August 7th 2020 was something that was completely unfamiliar to me In October of 2019, the previous year, my father, who was my confidant, he was my advisor, he was my hero, um, he was my best friend, really. He was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, and if you don't know what Lou Gehrig's disease is, it is a brutal, cruel, and very calloused disease. Um, You see, my dad was a cowboy. And he was the strongest, most independent man I'd ever known. He rarely asked for help because he could do it. He could take care of it. And he didn't want to inconvenience anyone else. Um, So he just took care of it himself. He was a fixer. He tried to fix anything that I had wrong in my life. He tried to fix it. Um, Even as a grown-up, he did that. And he worked extremely hard his entire life. I remember sitting next to him in the truck one day and um, I was holding his hand and I said, dad, your hands are so dry. And I said, have you ever even tried lotion? And he said, Valerie, lotion ain't going to help these old calloused hands. I said, well, let's just, let's just give it a try. And so I got out the lotion And I squeezed, I just about emptied the tube of lotion that I had in my purse. And um, I started rubbing it into his hand. And it was like I had never even put lotion on his hand. So he was right. (laughs) They were were tough hands. And uh, I remember my favorite picture that I have. One of my favorite pictures that I have is a picture of my dad's hand. And it's a kind of a close-up Um, It's a picture of him holding Dakota's hand when she was a baby. And so the contrast of this rough, tough, calloused hand um, up against the gentle, soft hand of a baby, it just, I don't know, it was just one of my favorite pictures. And there was a song uh, when I was growing up that I used to sing to my dad, and it was called Daddy's Hands. And I... I'll let you hear the lyrics of it, but it's a song that I remember singing to him ever since I was little. And uh, it says, I remember daddy's hands folded silently in prayer and reaching out to hold me when I had a nightmare. I could read quite a story in the calluses and lines. Years of work and worry had left their mark behind. I remember daddy's hands, how they held my mama tight and patted my back for something done right. There are things that I'd forgotten that I loved about that man, but I'll always remember the love in daddy's hands. 
Daddy's hands were soft and kind when I was crying. Daddy's hands were hard as steel when I'd done wrong. Daddy's hands weren't always gentle, but I've come to understand there were always there was always love in Daddy's hands. And his hands, my dad's hands, represented safety to me. It was uh, his hands were comforting. His hands also corrected me many times throughout my life, but he also held me. And uh, watching him hold his grandbabies was one of my favorite things. You've got this big, strong, tough cowboy, and he was just gently holding a baby. Um, and the same hands that were strong enough to try to tame a wild horse, and there's so many stories of, of him trying to do that, but they were gentle enough to comfort a child. And so for a strong, really independent, and maybe sometimes a little bit stubborn of a cowboy, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, is a hard pill to swallow. So following that dreaded diagnosis, we prayed, we fasted, we believed, we prayed some more, we fasted some more, we trusted. We trusted that God would do the miraculous, and any time over the years that um, any of us would have something that we would go to Dad with and seek his wisdom, his counsel, and advice, in those difficult situations, he would share his advice and his wisdom and share biblical principles with us to help us navigate through whatever it was we were going through. And he would always end the conversation with, everything is going to be all right, all is well. And sometimes I would think, Dad, how can you say that? How do you know everything's going to be all right, that all is well? But he just knew. He just knew how to speak calm into my life. So after the diagnosis, this became our mantra over the next several months that we trusted and believed for the miraculous. We said, all is well. He would send me text messages and he would be talking about, you know, kind of how the how ALS was affecting him and what he was feeling. And and even sometimes he would he would let me know that he was struggling that day and asking me to pray for him and and he would always end it though with all is well yet on august 7th 2020 at 5 a.m art dunn my hero took his last breath on earth and he entered into his rest and uh, my sister-in-law who's a nurse at the hospital where my father was uh, a co-worker of hers was in the room when my dad passed and she said it was one of the most peaceful things that she's ever experienced in all her years of being a nurse and being present when people passed away. She said he just had a big smile on his face and there was just complete peace that filled the room. So that gave me some peace, but the overwhelming grief that I experienced, it came in waves over the next several days. There were times I felt like I was literally drowning and I would come up for air occasionally long enough to take a breath only to be overcome with tears and pain and just an overwhelming drowning sense of grief and thing is I was a daddy's girl and I was the only girl and I was the baby so dad and I were pretty tight He taught me to hunt. He taught me to change the oil in my car. He taught me how to put a worm on a fishing hook. He taught me how to ride a horse. He told me and taught me all the benefits of some good old-fashioned physical labor. That even though I was a girl, I could still work hard. And uh, he 
taught me how to pray. He taught me how to fast. He taught me to have faith even when the circumstances were unfavorable. He taught me how to love the Word of God. He was a man of the Word. He was an incredible Bible study teacher and just had so much wisdom um, and insight into the Word of God. And he passed that on to us kids and, and even to his grandkids. And he taught me how to walk by faith and not by sight. And he taught me that the will of God is what matters. And the questions that followed that day in August when my hero, my dad, passed away, it just never seemed to end. I begged God for an explanation. I needed to know why. I needed, I needed to make sense of this loss in my life. I needed to know what the purpose was in it. Because in my human thinking, it made so much sense for God to heal my dad. It would have been an incredible testimony of God's power. It would have reached so many people that, I mean, God healed somebody of ALS. That would be incredible. And my dad, he wanted, he had so much more he wanted to do. He was 69 years old and he still had visions and dreams of starting a church in Socorro, New Mexico, a small town not far from where he lived. He loved the state of New Mexico. It was where God called him and nothing was tearing art done away from New Mexico. Not even his daughter. I tried. I tried many times to t- try to talk him into moving to Maryland and helping us in our church and just kind of sit back, enjoy your latter years, dad. It'll, you know, you can help me take care of my chickens and ducks and, and, uh, just kind of enjoy being here, but it wasn't happening. He had things to do and, He wanted to see the lives of people changed by the power of God, and he wanted to see that happen in New Mexico, and he was dedicated to it. So in my mind, it made sense for God to heal the guy who really wants to do something for him, the guy who wants to be in New Mexico, a place where it's very difficult to get people to go there because it's just a tough place to be. It's the Wild West my daughter Dakota when she was little anytime we would go out there she would say we're going to the wild wild west and she's right so over the next several months I experienced a roller coaster that the greatest amusement park in the world couldn't handle I'd be great one minute be having a great day and be fine and then I would hear something I would see something I would smell something I would think of one little thing or I would see his picture and just see his face and Knowing that I was never going to see that face again here on earth, um, it would just throw me into a, a dark place and ev- just little things would come up. And so I'd go from having a great day to having a really bad day. And every exciting thing that's happened was paired with pain because my dad couldn't be there to experience it with us. So when when Riley graduated high school, it you know it's an exciting time. It's time to celebrate but there's always a pain with it I remember sitting on the couch with her a few nights before her graduation ceremony and she just was crying saying you know I'm not even going to get a a video greeting from him and he's you know I'm the first one that he didn't see graduate and trying to comfort her through that and so this just this roller coaster and if you have ever been there you know exactly what I'm talking about 
I remember one day I was cleaning out my pantry and it was a good day. I'd been cleaning. I had upbeat, happy cleaning music on and doing great, feeling productive. And I came across a box of Carnation Instant Breakfast Packages. The little packets of, of uh, Carnation Instant Breakfast that you mix together with milk. And it was a box that my mom and dad had left here the last time they had visited. Um, when he was here the last time, he had only been able to um, have liquids due to the effects of ALS. It had uh, caused him to not be able to swallow very well solid food, so he had to have liquids only. And um, so they had purchased some of that, and he it's what he used to eat while he was here. And I came across that pack, that box that they had left, and I stood there, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I just stood in my pantry and cried and cried and cried. And then I couldn't even bring myself to throw the box away. Somehow in my mind, that box represented something about my dad, and I just could not bring myself to throw it in the trash. Because grief is so weird. <laughs> grief, it doesn't play fair. I've watched my daughters, I've watched my nieces and nephews grieve the loss of a very much loved and cherished papa. I've watched my brothers mourn. I've watched my sisters-in-law mourn a man that loved them as his own. Watched my mother mourn the loss of her husband of 50 years. Trying to understand God's ways and trying to still trust his plan. Mourning the loss of a man that truly was one of a kind. Recently, I attended an entrepreneur workshop in Oklahoma. And one of the evenings that we were there, we had dinner at a buffalo ranch. And we, would, we were having dinner inside of this amazing rustic barn. I told somebody, I said, if my dad was a building, this would be it. <laughs> it was just a rustic cowboy-looking place. It, it was art done completely. And uh, as I walked into this rustic barn where dinner was being served, they had music playing. And when I walked in, the song that was playing was a song that my dad loved. And ever since I was a very little girl, I remember my dad singing this song around the house, playing it on his harmonica. And it was a song, an old cowboy ballad by Marty Robbins called Red River Valley. And in that moment when I heard that song, it was like a tornado of grief and pain just hit me out of nowhere. And I had to go take a walk. And I had to excuse myself from the room. Thankfully, there weren't a lot of people in there. My sister-in-law was in there with me, and she knew. She saw it on my face, and uh, she was like, okay, go, 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 go. <laughs> and so I walked out and uh, tried to gather myself. But that song represented my dad. The lyrics of that song say, From this valley they say you are leaving. We shall miss your bright eyes and sweet smile. For you take with you all of the sunshine that has brightened our pathway a while. Then come sit by my side if you love me. Do not hasten to bid me adieu. Just remember the Red River Valley and the cowboy that loved you so true. Up until that point, I was having a great week. I hadn't had any major breakdowns. But that song just sparked something. So grief doesn't warn you. Grief just will hit you at random moments unexpectedly. Doesn't care who's around. Doesn't matter where you are, who you're talking to. 
it's just doesn't play fair. But what I've learned through this process that I am still very much going through is this. God can handle our questions. God is not freaked out whenever I ask him why. He doesn't vacate the premises whenever I ask for an explanation. And while I still don't have answers and I don't know the whole purpose in God's plan, I know that he truly is my comforter and peace. I've experienced him as my comforter like never before. God doesn't owe me an explanation, and I've told him that. I've said, God, you don't owe it to me. It'd be great. It'd be nice if you would give me one, but you don't owe it to me. But his word says that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. See, God doesn't view death the way that we do. God rejoices. And if that person is living right, they're rejoicing. The fact is that if the opportunity was offered to my dad to return to earth, he would positively turn it down and I wouldn't blame him. But when trying to understand God's ways and his plan, it kind of makes me think of as a parent when my child uh, needed discipline or when I needed to tell them no and they just could not understand why I told them no. And they would cry and they would cry. Their heart is broken because they didn't get what they want or they were disciplined. And in that moment, we know that in their childlike mind, they can't understand why we said no. They don't understand why we did what we did that is resulting in the pain that they are experiencing. And so we just hold them, we comfort them, we hug them, and we tell them, just trust me. Just trust me. And that's how my experience has been in those moments when the pain was so deep, so, so intense that I, I literally just couldn't speak, barely breathe. But I could feel the presence of God just wrap his arms around me and he would say, just cry it out. You know, it was like he was, all right, just cry it out. Get it out. You can be angry. You can be confused, but you can just trust me. And he would just bring peace to me. And I still, like I said, I don't, I still don't have answers. I don't have the answers that I want. And I may never get them here on earth. I haven't seen the big picture, but I trust. And, you know, it's easy to teach and preach about trust. It's easy to say, okay, y'all, y'all need to trust the Lord. And it's really easy to trust the Lord when he's doing what you want him to do. And we can be like, see, he did it. All you had to do was trust. But the test of trust in my life came when God said, no, I'm not going to heal your dad here on earth. He didn't heal my dad the way I wanted him to heal my dad. I literally laid on the floor so many nights at two in the morning, three in the morning, begging God to heal my dad, begging. I was bringing scriptures, reminding God of what he said. And just begging God to heal him. I don't even know if that's how you're supposed to do it. I don't know if that's right or if it's wrong. I just know I was desperate. And I wanted God to heal my dad. Ever since I was a little girl, my biggest fear was losing my dad. After my dad died, I was reminded of all the times that I got up in church and declared and proclaimed, God is going to heal my dad. God's going to work a miracle. Every word of faith that I uttered 
or someone else uttered to me was brought back to my mind. Every word. So to say that my faith and trust were tested is quite the understatement. I remember my first Sunday back to church after my dad died. Our assistant pastor was doing a, in, just an incredible job teaching on the effectual fervent prayer. And there was a point in the lesson that he was talking and he was walking through what effectual fervent prayer looks like. And I sat there thinking, okay, I did all that. Check, check. I could check off that list. And as I sat there on the front row trying to work through this struggle, I was struggling in my faith and trying to keep my game face on because I'm sitting on the front row and I'm the pastor's wife and it was my first Sunday back and I knew whether it was intentional or not, people are going to watch my reaction. And so I'm trying to pull it together. Felt like I was going to pass out. And about that time, my husband, without even me having to say anything to him, he knew what I was feeling, put his arm around me and just kind of gently pulled me close to him. And in that moment, it was like God was there. My husband kind of represented what God was doing and God just pulled me close to him. And I just felt a peace that overflowed me. And so here we are, we're in the month of June, the month that I have not been looking forward to, the day that I've dreaded ever since my father passed away. It's Father's Day. First Father's Day where I won't be making that early morning phone call, trying to beat my brothers at calling him to tell him Happy Father's Day because competition runs really deep in my family. It's the first Father's Day that I won't be going to pick out a card perfect card that will express my gratitude to such a wonderful man and although I don't have him here to tell him how amazing he is and to celebrate him I will celebrate the man that he was and I don't know a lot I don't know I can't explain everything about life and I can't explain everything about death but I do know this I know heaven is going to be sweet and I do know that my father has been made whole I do know that the very thing that he lived for his entire life, he's attained. He's at perfect peace, and he's with the one that he loved so much. He's with the one that he preached about and taught about. The one that he loved with all of his heart. So while I continue to ride this roller coaster of grief that I'll probably be on until the day that I die, and from what I hear of people who have, who are a few years, you know, further along in this process, um, it doesn't ever get easier. You don't really stop missing the person, but you learn how to handle it a little bit better, I guess. And so I'm prepared for the roller coaster. (laughs) But as I continue to ride that roller coaster, I do know this. I know that all is well. And as my dad would tell me right now, if he could, everything's going to be all right. So to my favorite cowboy, happy Father's Day, Dad. Thank you for 42 wonderful years of unconditional love. Thank you for all the wisdom, all the laughter. Thank you for teaching me how to play really good pranks on my brothers. Thank you for loving my children and my husband. Thank you for being an example of mercy and forgiveness. Thank you for showing me that even when we mess up and we fall short, that God's mercy is there. 
I miss you so much, more than I can put into words. And happy Father's Day. Give me a deal.